0: The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. I hope you all had a wonderful fourth. Uh, Today we're going to be continuing the series on Portraits of Faith. We're going to look at the story of a young lady. Now, I know we have... Mary Magdalene up there. That's my best guess. She's really sort of unnamed in this passage, but I'll I'll make a case for her. Uh, But we're going to get to look at the portrait of faith expressed through her life. It's a newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And because of this newfound faith in Christ, we find that her sins are forgiven and uh, that forgiveness precipitates out in tremendous love and devotion. We're going to get to see a wonderful picture of worship uh, today, At the same time, in this passage, we're also going to be challenged, I believe, with how Jesus views people. And just in the passage right prior to the one we're going to look at in Luke chapter 7, so if you have your Bibles, you might want to be flipping to Luke 7, we find out that the people are looking at Jesus and calling him uh, a glutton and a drunkard, as opposed to John the Baptist. There were those comparisons and contrasts. Uh, John the Baptist... Uh, was very careful of what he would eat. He didn't eat any bread. He would drink no wine. But on the other hand, Jesus drank wine. He ate with sinners. He, he uh, caroused around with uh, all, all kinds of tax collectors. And so he was very, very different. He wasn't what people expected. And uh, so Jesus treated people very differently as well. And I think it's a, a wonderful time for us uh, to look at our Christian culture to learn How do we view people? How do we treat people the way Jesus treated people? And we find out that Jesus views people and looks at people very differently from the way we view people or treat people. Uh, We tend to look at the externals and evaluate that way. Uh, Jesus really looks at the heart, very much like the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 16, 7, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So we're gonna look at this lady. Uh, There are a few different Marys in the Bible. Doug Schillinger a few weeks ago looked at at Mary, the mother of Jesus. Today, I'm gonna make a case for that this woman is Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala. And then we're gonna look at another Mary in a few weeks, uh, Mary of Bethany. So a few different Marys and the passage we're gonna look at, it's a familiar passage. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably heard about the, the woman who anoints Jesus with, with perfume. Well, there are four different passages. Every one of the gospels has that passage, uh, whether it be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Now, there are some commentators especially those like Eusebius would say, well, really, it's all the same event, but just sort of told in different ways and chronologically placed in different places. Uh, most commentators today would say it's really two different events. And uh, so Matthew, Mark, and John, that picture of this woman uh, would be found much later in the Gospels. Uh, it, would be, it would take place after, after the... Um, disclosing of of the betrayal of Jesus and and right before the crucifixion. It would happen much, much later. And this one would happen much, much earlier in the gospels, actually right around the time, right before Jesus began to teach and instruct uh, the disciples. So that's sort of the the background. Uh, I would make the case that this probably is Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. Again, it's a 50-50 shot. Who knows, uh, one, of, one of the people I most respect doesn't think it is. Uh, I happen to think uh, there's some reasons I think. Perhaps she is. So it's a lot easier for me to say Mary than it is to say unnamed woman. So I'll just call her Mary. But, but just know there's some debate there, okay? Well, let's, let's look at exactly what took place, okay? one of the pharisees what we're going to see we're going to see this lady that just became a christian okay mary magdala just became a believer and she's looking for jesus she just wants to find him and say thanks to jesus on the other hand there's a pharisee a guy by the name of simon and he's going to open his house they're very intrigued by jesus there there's so much that's going on now around jesus that um, it's just causing a, a, a lot of questions. So he invited Jesus to this dinner and he's invited some guests and they wanna find out more about about what's happening. So that's the setting. One of the Pharisees, this is that guy Simon, asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house, took his place at the table and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner." So this is a big deal to get invited. I know a lot, a lot of us enjoy having people over to our homes, and and uh, boy, who of us wouldn't want to invite Jesus over to our house uh, for dinner? Uh, again, this is a big deal because again, there, there's a lot of talk about what's beginning to happen in Jerusalem and around Galilee and the, in this whole Palestine, Palestinian area. Uh, A lot of people were saying that God has visited his people through a a great prophet. Some people were wondering if this perhaps might even be John the Baptist come back from the dead. Uh, Some people were saying, well, but why if he's a prophet, why would he be? eating and drinking? Why, why would he be, even if we're thinking he's John the Baptist, why would he be spending so much time with tax collectors, with, with sinners? And uh, they would look at the many things he's already done, heal lepers, give sight to the blind, walk on water, calm the waves in the seas. And something chronologically, if this was earlier in his ministry that just happened, he just raised the dead uh, of a widow, her son. So there's a lot of talk, a lot of things that were going on. And one thing that I think makes so much sense to me is that when you follow the text chronologically, what has just happened, Jesus began to talk to these people and say, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed all of these things to little children. So he's talking to these people. And then all of a sudden he says, And I think Mary Magdalene was here. I think this is when she became a Christian. Because it happens just before this passage. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you're going to find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm speculating, I know that, but I think it was somewhere here, some in the time frame, it had to be very, very close to this, that this lady becomes a Christian, and now she rushes to find Jesus. So I think that's a it's a it's a good guess. So Simon. Uh, wants to throw this party. And it was customary that you would sit around a table. Actually, the custom took place in Persian, so they adopted that that custom. They would have a a small table, a short table. You'd lay down on your left elbow on a cushion. Your feet would stick out to the side. And uh, you would have the the guest of honor, someone who uh, was invited to to speak. Jesus was that person that they invited to come. And... uh, Typically they would leave the door open so other people who were hungry could come in and they could sit around the perimeter and listen uh, to the conversation. So there were a lot of people there. And you can imagine the kinds of questions that were being asked. You know, young man, we, we noticed that uh, you say you're from Galilee, but we know the scriptures and the scripture says no prophet comes from Galilee. How, how do you put those two together? And and what are these claims that you're making that you're going to tear down the temple and build it back in three days? Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, what do you mean that God desires compassion more than sacrifice? And Or, or tell us, a lot of people are claiming that you raise this, young man from the dead? Uh, Was he really sleeping? Was it a trick? How did you do it? And you can just see the numbers of questions. Now, customarily, these people who would come in, the individual would come in, their feet would immediately be washed. Uh, They would be anointed with perfume, with, with, you know, You can imagine what the place would smell like if they didn't anoint people with perfume. So they anointed them with perfume. They would wash their feet. They would give them a kiss. uh, They would give them water uh, to drink. And yet when Jesus walked into this meal, we're going to find out that really uh, no one gave him a kiss. No one washed his feet. No one anointed him. No one embraced him. Let me ask you, if someone were to walk into your home, into your place of business, onto your team, and they were very, very different from you, socially, morally, religiously, very, very different from you. How would you treat them? So here's my question, what I want us to deal with. Are we gonna be a church that's more like Simon's house? Or are we going to be a church more like the way Jesus treated people? So for you individually as as a person, perhaps a family, you have a home or an apartment or maybe a dorm. Are you going to, what is your dorm? What is your team? What is your community group going to be like? Is it going to be more like Simon's house? Or is it going to be more like the way Jesus embraces people. So I want us to deal with that. I want us to think about that as we go through this passage. I think we do the passage injustice if we don't wrestle with that notion. Are we more like Simon or are we more like Jesus? So this Pharisee, was Very interested in Jesus. I mean, don't let that pass by. He, he was very interested. He was interested in pursuing Jesus. He was puzzled by Him um, And Jesus, on the other hand, it says in Proverbs 19:11, "It's a glory to a man to overlook a transgression." Uh, Jesus overlooked. The fact that he wasn't anointed, his feet weren't washed, he wasn't kissed, and yet he sat down to answer their questions. And it's amazing. So there's the setting. You've got the setting, there's the setting, and then all of a sudden the text says, Kai do. and behold, in other words, interruption, the setting is set, the table is set, the speaker's there, and all of a sudden something drastic happens and this woman bursts through the door. door. Now, it's not simply someone barging into a meal. This is, and you gotta understand it, in this culture, this was a woman barging into a meal. Not just a meal, but this is a woman barging into a meal filled with men ready for a discussion. And this was a woman not just barging into a male meeting, but going right to the heart of the table to the person that the conversation was centered around. And the text literally says, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. This is a polite way, almost a euphemism, where a Pharisee would use the word sinner either to describe a male who is a tax collector or a woman who is a prostitute. That's the context of the use of this word, that she was a prostitute. That's why I think there's strong evidence that this was Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. And she's going to be introduced to us in just a few verses. In chapter 8, verse 2, we're introduced to Mary of Magdala. She was a prostitute. She bore the mark of prostitution. She came in with her hair not up, but her hair was down. That was her red light. That was her calling card, so to speak. But notice it says, therefore, I tell you in verse 47 that her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, Jesus is saying. Now, I'm going to I'm going to just make a grammatical point. I know it's going to bore some of you, maybe most of you, but I think it's really important. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Now, very precise. You, you can't argue with the words that are used. Very, very precise. Uh, it's the perfect tense. In other words, her sins are forgiven. Something happened in her past, and I think it's when she was Hearing Jesus just the day before, going, Come unto me, all oh, you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Something happened in the past, but the results are continuing. Perfect tense. It's not something that's questionable because it's in the indicative mood, it's the mood of certainty. And it was something, the voice is, is uh, passive. It happened to her. Something happened to her probably very, very recently that rocked her world, that changed her life, that caused her to want to find this man who treated her differently than every other man she's ever met. This woman had seen the worst of men, believe me, the worst of religious men in the very true sense of the word. She was, she was the worst of women from the worst of towns, from the worst of occupations, with seven of the worst spirits. You can imagine, we find out from chapter eight, that she had been possessed by seven demons. Folks, the point is this. If Jesus can turn the life of this woman upside down, let me tell you, then faith in Jesus can absolutely rock, your world as well. Jesus can transform your life. If he can do it to this woman, he can transform anybody's life. Nobody is beyond the point of help or prayer or Jesus. Listen, this was a woman who couldn't even come into the temple But when Jesus said, come unto me, all ye who are weak and heavy laden, she went to Jesus. And her sins were forgiven. And we find out she was at the very end of this passage, uh, verse 50, and your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She responded in faith to the Savior, and she was saved. So let me ask you, I mean, you are here and I'm just going to ask you straight out. This passage ends, her faith has saved you. Let me ask you, are you saved? Has your faith in Jesus saved you? I don't know how else to put it without painting outside the lines. (laughs) That's as clear as I can say it. Has your faith in Jesus, the Savior of the world, saved you? That's a question you need to grasp. Don't leave today without answering that question. Don't leave today. If you have questions about that, come ask me. Ask somebody with a little green, I can help you. Ask somebody on staff. Do not leave without having that question answered today. Are you saved? The invitation that Jesus made to this woman is the same invitation he's making to you. Come unto me, come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. Let me change your life. Let me give you rest. Let me give you, as this verse says, let me give you peace. And just like this woman, you go as you are. You go as you are. The worst of women from the worst of towns, the worst of occupations, She went to Jesus and her life was radically transformed. So she she can't wait to just say thanks. She can't wait to worship him. So she finds out where she is. She barges into this meeting. She didn't have time to clean up the outside of her body. She didn't even have time to tie up her hair to get herself uh, respectable. She just wants to rush in and to say thank you. And she rushes in. She brings the best she has to give to him. Folks, her life was transformed. This woman who had been hurt for years, in particularly by men, for the first time experienced genuine love, genuine forgiveness, and treated as an ob- by men as an object of love rather than an object of lust. So she rushes in, she brings the most expensive thing she has, the most precious thing she has. She rushes it and when she looks at Jesus, she looks at him and she, she's shocked that his feet aren't washed. He doesn't smell of the aroma of Spinknard. No one is sitting close. So her eyes, the eyes that were used to allure men she weeps and the tears fall on his feet. The hair, her calling card that was used again to draw men are now used to wipe his feet. The perfume that she bought again to allure men is now used to anoint the savior. She is a worshiper of Jesus. You know, I was talking to my son yesterday and I said, you know, John, it's amazing to me whenever you look at intense, emotional, majestic pictures of worship in the New Testament, it's of women. Whether it be the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, the unnamed woman of the house of this Pharisee, uh, the women at the tomb, And I think, you know, God is so good because in most cultures, you would never see women lifted up the way it's done in Christianity. And you think, what in the world was going through Simon's mind? Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. I want you to get this, because I thoroughly believe it. The thoughts of Simon were far more offensive to Jesus than the immoral actions of Mary. You know, as Christians, the the longer I am a Christian, the more I am convinced that we really don't realize how offensive we can be and come across to those who don't know Jesus. We can come across just like Simon. We can be so judgmental. You know, and instead of having the posture of Jesus, come unto me, all ye who are weak and heavy laden. The possessors of truth, you and me, can be, be, if we're not careful, if we're not sensitive, so offensive to others who are not like ourselves. So I was thinking this past week, something happened on June 30th, just a few days ago, June 30th. Uh, it was a number of years ago though, June 30th. It did take place on June 30th, but it was 155 years ago. It was June 30th, 1860. There was a debate that took place. Now, uh, a debate between, let's just say Christians and non-Christians, okay? um, wasn't quite that simple. Very important topic. Uh, the, I'm giving you this illustration because I think it's one thing to hold to truth, but it's not just holding to truth, it's holding to truth and communicating it in a way that would be like Jesus with love and respect and dignity. Well, it was June 30th, 1860. There was a debate, a debate on the campus of Oxford on the merits of the theory of evolution. Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species, had just come out seven months prior, and you can imagine the intense debate that took place. And so you had a lot of scientists from the British Association for the Advancement of Science. You had a number of well-published, very brilliant theologians discussing debating the topic of evolution. So they all got together June 30th at a huge auditorium. Our side had our primary speaker, you'll recognize his name. He's one of our heroes, the heroes of the faith, Samuel Wilberforce. He was the Bishop of Oxford, very outspoken Christian, wonderful theologian. We had Samuel Wilberforce to debate, uh, one of the scientists from the British Association of the Advancement of Science, a guy by the name of Thomas Henry Huxley, to support the theory. It would have been great if Wilberforce stuck to the truth. But he said this, and in so doing, It went from truth to a side bet issue, and we lost the war. Samuel Wilberforce asked the question. He said, Thomas, are you descended from an ape on your mother's side or on your father's side? And the auditorium erupted in laughter. Huxley didn't laugh. Huxley sat there, waited for the crowd to die down. Huxley replied to Thomas. He said, Thomas, I would not be ashamed to have a monkey as an ancestor. However, I would be ashamed to descend from someone who would use his great gifts to obscure the truth. Folks, listen. Today the inflaming issues surrounding Christianity is no longer evolution. But how we respond to and how we treat others with love and dignity while holding to the truth can and will go a long, long way to propelling the gospel forward or it will cause us to be looked upon with contempt and with ridicule. So what was Jesus' reply? Jesus answered Simon. Uh, Think about it for a second. How could could he have answered Simon? He could have lowered the boom on him, right? But listen how he answered. He he didn't take the path of Samuel Wilberforce. He took a different path. Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say, a teacher, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, You have judged rightly. Let me tell you, Jesus could have scolded him. I mean, he could, have, you know, he could have got into it. But basically what Jesus was trying to do was to get Simon to view this woman through the same set of eyes that God saw her. That's what Jesus is trying to do to us in this passage. He's saying, come on, church. View people who are very different from you religiously morally ethically very different from you view them through the same set of eyes that god sees them and so he tells this story of these two debtors uh, both desperately in need both debtors both impotent neither one of them could repay both in need of grace both were forgiven Um, The problem is Simon, and, and this is my prayer for us, Simon couldn't see that Jesus was trying to apply this to his life. If we just sit here and listen to the story of faith and, and we don't get what Jesus is trying to teach, then we're just as guilty as Simon. We're all in need of Jesus. Listen, there's none righteous. No, not one. Our our righteousness is as filthy rags. It doesn't matter who we are, where we've come from, what kind of background we have, we're all in need of the Savior. So Jesus then turns toward the woman and says to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time that I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little Jesus was telling Simon, Simon, do you know what I see when I see this woman? He said, Simon, I see a worshiper of God. She has loved me. She worships me. He says, but you know what, Simon? You didn't wash my feet when I came in your door. She hasn't stopped wetting them with her tears. You didn't dry my feet, but but she has used her very hair to towel my feet dry. You wouldn't anoint me, but she has given to me the best that she has. You wouldn't kiss me. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you really are asking me what I see in this woman. Let me tell you what I see in this woman. I see this woman as a new creature in Christ. Forgiven with the very righteousness of God. That's what I see. But Simon, for you, dressed in all your religious garb, all I see is a spiritual pauper. And you think, boy, why is this text so important? Why has this text survived the years? I'll tell you why. Because life is filled with Mary's and Simon's. Churches are filled with Marys and Simon. You know, I I pray for us. I pray for us that we can identify with Mary. I know for many of you, we've heard your testimonies are awesome. Your life has been revolutionized by Jesus Christ. He's forgiven your sin. You've turned to Christ. Um, you've experienced newness of life. You love to tell that story. Um, There is without a doubt heart faith. I pray to God that your faith doesn't stop with head faith. I mean, all of us have to ask questions, but it should never stop there (laughs) with the head. It's got to move on to the heart. Um, So that's my prayer for us. You know, we'll never come to know Jesus if we don't come to the point where we you have to go behind the head. Yes, we do ask questions, but we come to the point where we recognize our desperate need for Jesus. We see our sin, how we're separated from God. We see our need for salvation, our need for a savior, and we repent and we turn to Christ. You know, it's so amazing to me when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Simon wasn't there, (laughs) but Mary was there. She was there. And when they took, three days later, when they took that body down, wrapped it up to take it to the tomb, no Pharisees were there. Mary was there. When he rose from the dead there was no Sanhedrin that wept and said do you know where they've taken away the body of my lord but Mary was there and Mary that's exactly what Mary wondered there was no pharisee that went sprinting back to the disciples with the news that he was risen but it was Mary it wasn't Simon who held the the feet of the risen savior next to her breast and begged him not to leave her again. But Mary did it. You know, she didn't know so much, but she knew him. She accepted his love. She accepted his forgiveness and she worshiped him. So, a couple of questions. Who do you identify more with? Do you identify more with Mary or Simon? Has your life been changed from the inside out? Does your heart re- when I talk about Mary and tell her story, does your heart resonate? Sure, your story is going to be radically different from hers, but do you resonate with that story? Or do you identify more with Simon? You're interested in Jesus. You like to find out more about Jesus. But you tend to be more critical and judgmental, a little more aloof. My prayer for you is that you would be like Mary. And then secondly, can you relate more to Jesus' attitude towards sinners or more to Simon's attitude towards sinners? Boy, my prayer for all of us, my prayer for all of us is that we would be like Jesus. Come unto me all ye who are weak and heavy laden let me point you to the one who can give you rest well let's all stand up and close with prayer and then there's no song to end it but please please if you feel like you identify with Mary and if you've never come to that point where you can clearly say my Salvation is sure because I have put my faith in Christ. If you you haven't got to that point and you want to talk to somebody, please, please do. Uh, Don't leave without asking somebody. Ask me, ask somebody on staff, ask somebody with the green, ask somebody who brought you. uh, Get that part settled. Let me pray. Father, um, the cross drives us to remember all too well what it was to be under the condemnation of the law. Uh, we put all kinds of gods before you. Uh, we, we loved ourselves. We loved the world. We loved things in the world. Uh, we're really no different from Simon or these women or this, this woman here. Um, but in your mercy, Jesus, you said to us, come unto me, all ye who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And when we came to you in faith, You forgave us because within every sin is planted the seed of the gospel of grace. And faith in Jesus waters that seed, transforms the life, forgives the sin, and and makes our lives one of beauty and worship and fruitfulness. So God, uh, take our hair, our hair that was used for sin, and to use it as a towel for your feet. Take our perfume that was once used for selfish gain and use it to glorify you. Take our eyes that tried to catch the weak, use them to weep great tears of love. Bring us to our knees in worship and in love. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for him who came and died and was punished by God the Father for our disobedience, and that he who knew no sin became sin for us. We thank you for the Savior. We worship him. And it's in his name we pray.